Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome everyone to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have with us Tom Zeeb. Back in 2001, Tom was broke as a joke. A near-death experience while whitewater rafting pushed him to find a new way to break free of his 9-to-5 job. His first deal almost took him under as well, but real estate investing saved him, both personally and financially. Hundreds of deals later, he is happy to share the same negotiation, marketing, and business techniques that set him free. So you can do the same. Simple, structured, and step-by-step. Techniques that take you from spinning your wheels to doing profitable deals. Tom works with real estate investors of all levels to get their businesses built or rebuilt correctly so that their personal goals and lifestyle stays at the center of everything they do, giving them more money, more time, and more freedom to spend as they please. It's amazing what a few tweaks to the core elements of your business can do for you. Tom teaches investors how to identify and implement those core elements. So let's give Tom a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today. Thanks, Donald. Good to be here. Likewise, likewise. Um, so, yeah, before we um, jump in, I wonder, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, um, where you come from, how you got into real estate and investing? Yeah, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. And then after college, I went to Washington, D.C. and was there for a good 24 years. And then the last couple of years, I've been down in Florida. Okay. I started the real estate investing in DC, kind of on the back end of, um, I needed a way out of a day job. I wasn't that happy <laughs> in, the, uh, in the workaday world. And Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad kind of led me to real estate um, after a, after I nearly drowned myself on, on a, on a international trip, whitewater rafting. Uh, I, uh, in, in, in India, I, I just said, oh man, things have got to change. Things are going to be different. How are they going to be different? I have no idea. Uh, I found that book. I went, oh, I got to get into real estate, but I, I had no idea exactly how yeah. or what to do. And then, you know, through a bit of a turmoil and some back and forth on some deals that didn't work out so well, I wound up primarily wholesaling properties to other active investors in the, in the DC area. Okay. And that, um, that whitewater rafting incident when was that back in was that 2000 2001 when was that yeah two yeah right around that, oh, oh one i think so what happened with that well was that pretty pretty serious yeah it was pretty traumatic you know i had well, the whole trip was escapism to try to get away from the misery of not being happy with where i was at mm-hmm. and and then i uh oops couldn't stay on on the raft you know with a bunch of buddies we're going down you know going down the river ganges river uh, the big class five rapid comes up and we just twisted kind of funny. And I went over the edge and I was underwater for a bit and bouncing in the rocks and worried about coming oh, out. Man. And it was, it was, 
It was bad. Uh, and But instead of being that worried about uh, being able to breathe, I suddenly just got mad. I, I was mad at myself for doing nothing but sinking myself into a, a, a stupid amount of debt and not really having done anything. And so I said, man, when I get out of this, things are going to be different. Yay. But I got back home and there was there was nothing different. I, now I, was, I realized I was drowning in debt and drowning in the job and drowning with drowning with everything else in life that hadn't gone right. And so that, that mm. was what the change. Yeah. I think 2001, that was around the same time I discovered Kira Kiyosaki as well. So we're probably right, right on par there. Yeah. Massively powerful book. Not, not a lot of uh, exact how to information. Yeah. Absolutely super powerful. Yeah. That's that, exactly what it was. Cause when, when I first read it and I started, yeah, this, this makes total sense. But then when I read his second book, Cashflow Quadrant, and he started talking about owning businesses and talking to investors. I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I could ever do that. So it still was a long transition between reading that first book. It probably was 2008 before I jumped okay. ship and left my job. It took me seven years to do some more studying and build up the courage to actually take the jump. So, Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not easy to make that big of a change. There's not a lot of things... I know the world doesn't seem to prepare people, you know, the average average Joes. Mm. Right? It doesn't prepare us for entrepreneurship or being independent yeah. or on your own. And so it's a whole, uh, it's like walking into an abyss. You're just not sure what you're coming into. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and rightly so, right? Because from kindergarten, we're trained to work a job, right? It's pretty much from kindergarten. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. The Army and policeman. So, yeah, it's hard to break that cycle. Yep, sit in the classroom, nine to five, five days a week. You know, it, it's it's all the whole thing. It, it's all follow, follow, follow instructions, do what you're told, don't question authority. Yeah, all right, everything I couldn't stand. Yeah, so Tom, so for those for those who are doing deals or setting up their real estate companies or any company, what what what's the number one stopping most people from doing more deals? In your opinion consistency that like it just some focus and some consistency consistency meaning repetition mm -hmm. in, in in marketing I, just, I there's everyone wants to learn everything else about a deal how how to do the deal and how to put it together and what contract to use and but you never get around to being able to do any of that if you haven't actually done any marketing and marketing requires some consistency you've, you've got people have to hear that same message again and again and again and again before they finally respond. Just like any TV commercial or radio commercial, you have to see it a few times before it sinks in. Yeah. And But for some reason, uh, real estate investors, you know, new ones just think, oh, I'm going to send out one postcard and magic's going to happen. I'm going to make that one phone call and magic's going to happen. Magic doesn't happen. You, you have to repeat the marketing process again and again. And, and so talking about marketing, I mean, it's so different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So where should we be marketing it and how often, how consistent? What is, what, what's the definition of consistent in today's marketing environment? Uh, good question. Actually, it, I think it depends a lot on the, the type of motivation that you're after. Your, your marketing uh, frequency, your marketing repetition schedule should match the situation of the people that you're trying to market to so for, for example if you're in a state where foreclosure can go down fast like three weeks fast then you obviously need to step up your marketing campaign and, and kind of reach out to them a lot within a, a three-week window 
But if you're in a state where that's a nine month process or a year long process, you can pace it out differently for, for that type of, uh, of situation. I find, um, you know, probates, I tend to drip on monthly and drip, 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 because I want to make sure that they know I'm there when they're ready, because there's not necessarily a burning, a burning deadline with them as there is with pre foreclosure. Right. Okay. And, and another thing with deal making, I think probably one of the most important is the deal itself when you buy. And that, and that comes down to negotiating, right? So what is the best way or what are some of the best negotiating skills you can acquire to make sure your deals are formidable? Yeah, this I'll tell you the negotiation piece to me that that's the real fun part. That mm -hmm. that's the uh, that's the magic. That's the that's the art and the science of of, of deal making right there is getting the uh, get getting the price down and getting them to say yes. And then the yeah. more frequently you can do that, and the and the more you can get them to drop, the happier you're going to be because you're going to make more profits and more deals. So I always like to layer my different types of negotiation techniques together. Like I'll usually start off when you start talking to somebody and, and drawing information out of them, you know, uh, asking them questions. But as, as you get around to asking about price, no matter what they say, number wise, I always flinch at the number. I kind of let them know that, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that number. That way they know there's something wrong and they probably need to come down. It's a great opening. Um, it's an opening technique to use to start to put downward pressure on the price. Okay. Yeah, because one of the things I'm noticing now in, in commercial, even you'd think sellers would be coming down on their prices. They're still holding on to expectations from two years ago. I mean, they're still yeah. holding on to four and five caps nowadays. And I'm, yeah. I'm telling them, well, I mean, even if I took this deal, most lenders aren't, they're not going to, they're not going to fund this deal right now. And then in this lending environment, they're not. So what, what, what would be your recommendations for, getting sellers on board with realizing the current lending environment and maybe, maybe to be a little more compromising. Well, there's a couple of things I do. One of them is I'll call it um, show your work. Remember your, uh, your math teacher in, in high school used to write, show your work that way you, you had to show your process. That way you didn't, they, you, they knew you weren't cheating. You can't just reveal the answer. So right. what I do with a lot of these sellers that are kind of, stuck on the old days of a few years ago and they're stuck on their old numbers is a lot of times they're just not thinking they're thinking well it worked for me this deal cash flowed for me so obviously mm -hmm. it'll cash flow for you well they forget that they bought it at a much lower price or yeah. at a much lower interest rate or, or something much different than numbers so i'll show them i say hey let's let's push the pen across the paper here and actually work the numbers out hey when i buy it from you for this your cap rates this and that means I'm uh, and then you kind of you want to get them to go, oh yeah, it, it's yeah. not not going to be the same deal they had. Yeah. And then and then of course, since they're investors, you say so you see why that doesn't work for me, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a good recommendation. Yeah, if you get them to go through it and say, Yeah, how, how is this deal supposed to cash flow for me? How am I supposed to buy this deal and when it doesn't pencil? Yeah, it's it's got it's gotta work. <laughs> Uh, and so, right. hey, how can we make this work? Or can we can we change some of the terms? Can we lower the price? Can we can we change the amount of owner financing? You know, try to make it work. But the only way that's really going to come around is when you come back to keep asking them questions and talking about them. Why are they selling? Why do they need out? 
What are their yeah. aims and goals? What they're specifically doing in their life right now? You know, like a lot of times with the, with the commercial property, maybe they're looking to buy something uh, else. A lot of times they're just looking to divest because they're getting older. Life right. changes. Right? Yeah. We're all getting older. Long enough uh, time frame. None of us are getting out of here alive. So we got to, you know, there is going to be a point where you don't want to do as much actual work. Yeah, and so you can say, hey, let's convert this so it becomes a cash flow stream for you. But then I've got I've got the property now to manage. And so if you can keep talking to them and figure out what they want, you put together a solution that would work for them. It's much more easy to be able to convince them to accept that solution. All right. Okay. And and on that note, so what would you think, or what would be your thoughts on the best way to get clarity? about moving forward with a deal. So say you say you, he's come around to your price or you've both agreed on the terms of the deal. And then you start to think, oh, is this really the right, should I really be doing this right now? What, what's the best way to get clarity on moving forward with a deal? Know your numbers. L know what your goals are. Does it specifically meet your outcome and all the numbers you're getting this deal at? Are they going to support that? Do you get what you want out of it? You got to be really clear on that first. Otherwise, I, I find that sometimes people are, oh, I just want to do deals, do deals, do well, yeah. Okay. Is it a good deal for you or not? Because it could, you know, it could be a double-edged sword and cut you the wrong way. We don't want that. So you've got to clearly define out what it is that you're actually after. And sometimes, honestly, Donald, that's a matter of sitting down and going, what are my goals? What is the outcome I want? And making sure you're really solid about that before you proceed. Yeah, I mean, I know I've gotten to that situation before and have made that mistake like, well, this doesn't fit the criteria that I set forth, but I can turn it around and I can I can do this value add and then a year later I'll be where I where I want to be. What what are your thoughts on that as far as well, going forth with the deal? Now, if you set your criteria for a reason, maybe you could turn it around. I guess the question then is, should you? Hmm. That's one of the hardest things. Sometimes, you know, when you, when you set solid criteria, there's stuff that qualifies. Awesome. There's stuff that doesn't qualify. Then you got to learn the discipline to just walk away from it. Yeah. The only really gray area occurs when something hits right on that decision line. Ooh, mm -hmm. you know, well, you know, it's not quite right. A little work. Those are always the tricky ones because the temptation is there. Yeah. Hey, I can make some lemonade out of lemons. Well, sometimes you got to just accept it might just be a lemon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a lot of people, especially new to investing, the fear is just the analysis paralysis. So how, how do you beat that fear of just, just getting started? Especially like if you go back to our 2001, 2002 days, yeah. as, we date, as we date ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I always try to remember that. And when I go to students that I work with, I, I go, this is where they're at at the moment. You're scared. It's hard to it's hard to pick up the phone and want to make a call. It's hard to take that step because it, you're feeling all sorts of uh, the threat of rejection or I don't know what I'm really doing. Okay, you know what? Accept it. You don't know what you're doing. No, you don't have any skills yet. So let's just go out there and try. You got to try it like anything else. I, I you don't build any muscle without working out. You don't build any endurance without going for a walk or going for a run. You, you don't really get to do anything until you, you practice a little bit. So I like to see people practice. And that could be as simple as picking up the phone and starting to call some, just call listed properties or jump on Craigslist and look for a for sale by owner. Even if you, know, even if you want to do commercial and it's not a commercial, just don't worry about 
get somebody on the phone just to talk to. So mm-hmm. someone that's yeah. listed the property for sale by owner, they want to talk. So call them and use them for practice. Yeah. You'd Absolutely. be surprised what happens. Yeah. You'll get better at, at talking to somebody. You'll get better at drawing information out of them. And even when it comes down to time to just start talking numbers and, and putting some offers out there, offers that you're scared about because it feels too low. They would never take that. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to yell at me. I, I know. I, I want you feeling exposed to that and then just doing it and realizing you're still breathing. Everything's still good. Yeah. You're just even if they said no. Yeah. And at the end of the day, because that's what it is, the fear the most times, right? Like, oh, I'm going to call this guy and they're going to think I'm an idiot and it's just going to be a disaster. But like you said, you just got to get started, right? And it's, yeah, get started. As- so, I mean, okay, somebody you never met, probably never will meet, that you're not even sitting with face-to-face, called you an idiot. Yeah. Do you really care? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, exactly. At first you do, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, like, I would challenge people, go make 10 phone calls and go get called an idiot 10 times in a row. And then realize, oh, I'm still here. It's all good. I'm still breathing. And now do another 10 and see how you feel. And that, that confidence is going to build just like any other muscle builds from, from working it out. Yeah. And, and a lot of times you may really be an idiot, but it, it lets you know where you are, right? Where you are and where yeah. you need improving. Yeah, we can't rule that out. Somebody, might, somebody yeah. might be, but, yeah. but you'll figure out where if you're stuck on something. And then, yeah. then you can focus in on that part of you that's not right and make an improvement. Exactly. Absolutely. And Tom, if, I mean, if we go back to marketing, I know marketing, everything moves so quickly these days. So how do you ensure your marketing doesn't isn't outdated or dead? What what, what do you do to keep it keep it current? I like to make it personal, like mix in as much of you, of your personality as possible. You know, particularly with all this uh, artificial intelligence and things on the rise, the mm. stuff is a little bit canned and a little bit bland. But I'll tell you one thing that's endlessly fascinating is you individually mm. and your personality. And so when you kind of let that flow through your marketing and flow through your conversations and put it in the messaging, if, if if everybody else is sending the exact same type of message, then you'll probably find more success going the exact opposite direction with your messaging. So if everyone's being bland and clinical and numbers driven, but you come in very personal, that's going to stand out. Of course, if everyone came in personally, then maybe you want to stand out being a little bit numbers driven and bland. Kind of the, the opposite of the crowd is usually a good spot to be. Okay. And and, and staying, let's talk about staying in business. So what are some of the screw-ups you want to avoid that could possibly knock you out of business? Oh, yeah. Or derail you? Yeah. Uh, Lack of consistency. Lack of a a plan that gives you consistency and keeps bringing you back to that level. So most people don't do enough marketing. Real estate investors of all types and all levels, they just freeze up or they, or they get so focused on what they're dealing with at the moment that they stop doing any marketing. You always have to be marketing to make sure that you're, you're bringing, you're bringing potential leads in so you can convert them into deals. Then I said, the, the, the second thing is the leads you do get, you do have to convert them and converting them means getting them to say, yeah. So you've got to really uh, learn, uh, brush up on and polish those negotiation skills. So you're getting good at moving people from saying no to saying yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think follow-up, part of that consistency is follow-up as well with a lot of those leads. You're not following up 
I mean, that's no, half the battle. The, yeah. the, the secret sauce of the business is in the follow-up. Yeah. So they said, no, okay, fine. It's no for now. Put them on a follow-up. You know, call back in a month. Call yeah. back in six weeks. Follow-up. Send people more than one message. If you're, you know, postcards or letters or or uh, even a phone call campaign, it's got to happen more than once so that there's a, there's a consistent follow-up. Because a lot of people, the first time they hear from you, they ignore it. The second yeah. time to hear from you, it plants a seed. Yeah. But that you know, the seed's not a tree yet. It takes time to grow and to be nurtured. So the third time, the fourth time, now suddenly they're ready. The interesting thing is it'll be the fourth time that you've contacted them, they'll swear it's the first. Yeah. It's just one of those, you know, student ready teacher appears kind of things. Absolutely. So any any stories or experiences on that line that um that brought you close to being out of business that you're able to turn around? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, there's been a number of times where, let's say you go through a drought, a financial drought, right? a, a marketing drought, a, a deal-making drought. It happens. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I try to keep enough different types of marketing campaigns running. So if any, you know, any one or two or three of them dry up at the same time, you still got one that's producing. But it doesn't always work that way. I mean, you know, you try to plan it out. Well, I'll tell you, you can go a few months. You're like, wow, did this stop working? Did everything change so much that it's not working anymore? Uh, but no, it, if you're doing the right things again and again, and it's worked for you and it's worked for others, then you keep, you keep at it. And it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So you you keep at it, though, because it it's in that moment when you're starting to doubt it, that if you quit, you're done. Yeah, but yeah. you might have quit when you're when you're literally, you know, a, a day away from the from the next good deal that comes in. So it's a matter of I tell people, look, commit to it, commit to it, be in it for a year. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do what I got to do no matter what. Uh, and that takes some of that emotional uh, ebb and tide out of it. Right. The tides rising and falling emotionally and you're all over the map. And you're work, just say, I, I'm in this for the long run. And then it helps you stay more consistent. Yeah. And how much of your marketing plan is networking and, and how important do you think networking is in your marketing plan? I would say it's about a third, maybe mm -hmm. a little higher. Uh, uh, it, it's very important to be telling people what you do <laughs> and build, particularly from a marketing perspective, to build a network of people that could look be bringing deals into you because yeah. you're one set of eyes and ears. There's only so much you can see and here in a day, but if you start to network with other people and tell them what you do, specifically if there's people that are dealing with the types of people you want to meet anyway, then yeah. you bring them in. Like you know, one example is uh, social workers at um, at senior citizen centers mm -hmm. uh, or or nursing homes. People are coming in now. Maybe they're in a little bit earlier than planned. Maybe it's a surprise to the family that they're in. Well, what if they have to divest out of their house or out of their, their rental properties or out of their multi-unit buildings that they own? Uh, where are they going to turn, particularly if they're already having some problems? Well, if the social worker in that nursing home is able to refer somebody and that somebody is you, well, now you've got a trusted third-party referral uh, and you're already showing up to that negotiation uh, a step ahead of everybody else. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I found that helps me with networking is bringing people in my network, bills, I'm sorry, deals and business. 
Because once you start doing that, they're going to start thinking of you at the same time. So that, that's really helped me in my business. I don't know yeah. if, you've, if you've experienced things like that. Yeah, making it into a two-way street. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I'll do that specifically with different types of attorneys. Like, I love to meet probate attorneys because they, they make a living dealing with people in probate, which is one of my great lead sources. But to also remind them, that, make sure I'm referring business to them. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. No, your, your, uh, your, your grandmother passed away and left you a house. I have the perfect attorney that can help you with that. So you're sending the business to them. And then obviously when they have people, they'll be sending them back your way. So you absolutely build the relationships by remembering a relationship is a two-way street. For sure. And let's talk about goal setting. How how are you goal setting and how are you um, implementing that? How are you measuring it and achieving that? I go backwards from from what what my goals are. So I want to start with my lifestyle goals first. Like, what do I specifically want at the core? And then I'll wrap my business goals around that. So everything should be fulfilling. I, I want the business goals to fulfill my lifestyle goals. I find if people build it the other way, sometimes they build a business that makes them miserable. I don't want to be. I don't want to feel like I have a job or own a job. Yeah. I want to be from that job. That was the whole goal. So I, I think it's important to pay attention goal setting wise. What do you put at the center? And I, it sounds kind of selfish. Selfish. I put myself at the center. Well, yeah, <laughs> but but for good reason. If if if, yeah. if if you're at the center and your family's at the center, then you're going to make sure everything you're doing is is being built around that properly. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. And it is selfish, and it should be. So I mean, yes. that's where you do your best work, right? You can't help anybody if you don't help yourself. So yeah, and I think some people miss that. I you can help an enormous amount of people as a real estate investor. For, forget all that nonsense. You know, people trying to demonize real estate investors, but we do an enormous amount of good for the people that we help and the neighborhoods that we improve and, and buildings that that get you know, fixed up and repaired and better and they're nicer and they're safer, great places to live. That's coming down to us. So I, I never let anyone say, "Oh, you know, you, you know, you're you're evil or bad investors." No, I think we do a lot of good, and we need Absolutely. to keep that in mind because everything we touch can get a lot better. And that starts by recognizing what you need. So it, it's weird. I, I don't I don't actually find it selfish to focus on yourself. I find it, it it's it's not selfish. It's in your self interest because then your self interest spreads out really nicely to everybody else that you touch in the business. So, Tom, do you remember your first deal? Yeah, I sure do. So tell uh, me a little bit about that. My first deal wasn't terribly successful, uh, uh, to be honest. It was a six-unit building in New York City, mm. in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I bought this thing and closed this thing with uh, no money uh, and being broke at the time. But, you know... Gosh, 2001, I, they were they were giving mortgages to anyone who could fog a mirror. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I can't imagine why uh, we got into so much trouble. So uh, I I wound up buying a six-unit building with six tenants who weren't paying a dime mm-hmm. and was really stuck on that. I, I partnered with my sister on this one, and uh, we were just in a world of hurt uh, financially, and now it, it just got worse because suddenly – well, you know, winter's coming and we need heating oil, uh, but nobody's paying. But yet we still got to pay for that. And the mortgage needs to be paid, even though nobody's paying us. And it was progressively worse and worse, even down to 
when my sister was there trying to collect some rents, one of the tenants um, uh, took her head and smashed it into the wall. Whoa, really? Yeah, I said, okay, I think we're done at this point. Let's walk away from this one. And uh, it was it was fascinating. L- luckily, I guess luckily we both have hard heads. Uh, she, <laughs> she survived and I didn't get out of the business. I, I, I kept focusing. I said, I'm just going to focus on something different. I must have screwed up somewhere. That's not for me. Uh, and let me keep trying to find other types of deals. And that's when I wound up in wholesaling. Because then I realized, oh, huh, I could I could put these deals together because I like marketing and I love negotiating. I could put these deals together and sell them to somebody else. Well, that's great. I'd much rather get paid at that point than have to deal with anything. Yeah. And makes you realize the need for management companies as well, right? Instead of going around collecting that rent yourself. Yeah. yeah. That taught me a solid lesson. So, I mean, I stayed, I stayed away <clears throat> from rentals for a number of years. It, admittedly scarred by the experience uh mm-hmm. but once i got over that and i uh, got back into rental properties then it was yeah with a with a property manager because <laughs> i just don't want to i don't want to deal with any of it that, that's yeah. not that's not me and i the deal has to be able to support that i think some people are trying to they're, they're trying to uh squeeze you know squeeze that lemon too hard uh and and get every last drop of juice out of it i want to make sure it can support having a property manager uh because i'm sure as heck not going to do it yeah. And that's that's not a small deal for first deal, right? I mean, it's a six six unit building. That's not small. No, it was not appropriate for me. Yeah. But I did I was too much of a rookie to to know that at the time. Yeah, yeah, but definitely, yeah. So yeah, if you can squeeze some lessons out of there, it's definitely room to move forward, I think. Yeah. So the first one was the disaster. My my second one, which was more the first successful deal, I, I thought I was gonna rehab it. Uh, and uh, this was down in the Washington D.C. suburbs on the on the Virginia side, and uh, I put a property under contract, was planning to rehab it, and then had another investor offer to buy it from me, and I wound up wholesaling it to him, having no clue what I was doing, and I walked away with with just shy of twenty three thousand bucks, and I went, okay, that changes everything. You're like, wow, yeah, I should do this twenty or thirty times a year, right? Yeah, <laughs> which is what I focused on doing. And, and that's what got me out of the rat race. It paid off my debt, got, got me my freedom. Everything changed after that point. Yeah, it's funny how just random things makes you get that idea like, wait a minute, why wasn't I doing this in the first place, right? Yeah, <laughs> because I had no clue what it was. That's just it, <laughs> right? They, they didn't teach it in school. How how would I have known? Yeah, and fast forward 20 years, now you're in Sarasota, Florida, right? Yes. Doing the same thing on a higher level. Yes, it's magnificent, and I look back on those, you know, those twenty plus years, lifestyle, uh, you know, freedom, the choices, kind of do what you want to do when you want to do it, and not have to answer to anyone for it. And I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely, yeah, I'm definitely, as they say, unemployable now. Exactly, <laughs> probably and happily. All right, Tom. So. Before we hop off, let's, why don't we put you through the lightning round and let's see huh? what makes you tick. All right, let's do it. All right, so what is the book or books you've given the most as a gift and why? Mm. Well, it's hard to beat the original uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by by Robert Kiyosaki because that, that's launched so many people. But there's a, a slightly more off the beaten path one that I really like. It's, it's Robert Ringer's uh, to be or not to be intimidated. Mm-hmm. I I almost felt like if 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 the Kiyosaki books kind of 
it launched uh, launched me and got me moving. I feel like this was an adolescent level book where it kind of matured me as a real estate investor and 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 being in business in general. So yeah, Robert Ringer, uh, the whole philosophy that just oozes out of that book is incredible. All right, to be or not to be. Okay, I'll have to check that out. To be to not yeah, to be to not to be intimidated. Okay, intimidated. All right, and if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what would it say? Go the opposite way. Mm, perfect. Right? Yeah. The, the same way everyone's traveling is usually a trap. Yeah. For sure. You go the opposite way from the crowd. I, I think I, I probably initially heard that from Dan Kennedy, and it's all, always ones of being true. Just go the opposite way of the crowd. So I don't know. Maybe my sign would say, turn around and go back. Everyone's going yeah. this way, the other way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for greater success later? Well, that'll come straight back to that six unit building which mm -hmm. felt like one big giant colossal failure. I mean, even when we got rid of it, I lost it on a short sale. Uh, mm -hmm. But the amount of lessons I learned from that and and the the perseverance to get out of that and to still move on and say, let me find a, let me find techniques that do work for me. I, I it's one of those things where you know, would I want to go through that again? No, but I wouldn't I wouldn't give up having gone through it either. The, does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Yeah. You, I mean, you needed that experience, right? To open yeah. your eyes and let you know where you needed to be. Yeah. Not nothing wrong with getting kicked in the teeth every now and then. It, it sometimes it it uh, it gets you to where you need to be. Yeah. I mean, there are no success or stories without those kind of stories behind it. Anybody you speak with. Bingo. Yeah. All right. And and in the last five years. What new belief or behavior or habit has most improved your life? Hmm. Last five years, new belief or behavior. Um, to keep a really, uh, like never, never try to outguess what the other side is going to do. I don't know why. Like I've always seemed to have a problem. Like, like it, well, why would they say yes to that number? Why would they say yes to that offer? I, it, it's you can put yourself in the other party's shoes and walk a mile. You can walk a million miles. You're still not going to think like them because mm. they're them and you're you. And so put the offer out there the way you need it to be and let them decide. You're most probably going to be shocked at their answer. You may not even agree with like, why would they take that offer from me? But they will for their own reasons. And their own reasons are always going to be different than yours. So I find sometimes trying to, trying to, you're not trying to outthink the other person. You just need to think about what is your criteria, what's going to work for you. Make those offers and let the cards fall where they may. Hmm. Okay. And I mean, let's go back to we talked about um, marketing and getting your deal flow. So I mean, I mean, I'm sure you're to the point now where you have deals coming across your desk all the time. I know I, I get all kind of deals. So what have, what have you become better at saying no to as far as distractions, invitations, et cetera? Yeah, that's the, uh, having to put the filter on is, is difficult sometimes. So people, Oh, I have to answer everything and I have to look at everything. I, at a certain point you won't be able to, 
yeah look at everything and answer everything you got to have some criteria for screening it out pretty fast so i've gotten a lot better at looking at things and and kind of what are the what are the key item like what's the key metric or the key idea the key thing that needs to be there for me to continue to be interested in it or if it's not there kind of have the maturity to just walk away say nope that's not it that's just not what i do right and which sometimes uh, other people don't like hearing I'm like well let me tell you why you need this tom <laughs> you, you could tell me all day long but why why waste your time or mine i i know so you, it, at a certain point i'd like to see people get more solid and hey this is what i do and it's okay to draw a line around that and realize that it's either going to be something you're interested in or something you're not but convey that to people right up front and save everybody the time yeah, absolutely. And not to say that what they're doing is bad or, but it's just not for you, right? I mean, you have a focus, what you're focused on. Yep. Yeah, because I, I get so many people who are going to help me become a multimillionaire using crypto. And I, and I think I think crypto is great, but it's not where my focus is. I don't have the time exactly. to do it. That's not my focus. So, <laughs> and the perfect, that's the perfect example because it's everybody these days. Uh, guys, yeah, I'm sure that works great, but that's not my thing. Yeah. Stay, yeah. So there's all these quotes about, you know, stay in your lane. Or uh, my British friends like stick to your knitting. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, stick stick to what you know. Stay in your lane and don't worry about everything else. Yeah, there, there's. I'm sure every industry has something that'll make you a zillion dollars, uh, yeah. but that doesn't mean I'm interested in doing it. So yeah, again, that that's a bit of a kind of grown up investor maturity to stay in your lane. Absolutely. All right, and last one. So when when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused. Or you feel like you've lost focus temporarily. What what do you do? What questions do you ask yourself? Hmm. I will usually um, I take a break, a pretty solid break, and go do something that uh, I know will let the whatever the problem or issue I'm dealing with let it kick to the back of my mind. So running can do that. Long drives do that for me. Some sort of distraction. Um, traveling working on something else these days i'll i'll jump on my jet ski and just go riding uh so you know kind of driving riding those things be good because you're you're focused on doing something else it brings your mind uh out of whatever kind of you know getting stuck in the weeds you're focused on something else but your subconscious is still working on the problem yes yes at the time i'll get the better idea from actually taking my main focus off of it and and letting the the sub the, the, the strangeness of the subconscious mind work on it and i find that to be it's almost foolproof. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, especially especially running. I mean, that's my thing. I can't tell you how many solutions I've come up with just just on a run. Like, yes. Oh, it just pops in. I'm not even consciously thinking about it. But yeah, so right. The, problems, the problem sometimes is remembering it when you're done with the run. So yeah. you know, you don't want to be running <laughs> yeah. with a pen and paper. But yeah. uh, you know, there are times I'll I'll wind up, I'll stop, I'll pull up my phone, send myself a quick uh, email as a mm-hmm. reminder of what I said. Uh, or to pull out the voice recorder and grab yeah. it. Some way of capturing it because I don't uh, like. Oh man, I thought of it now. Of course, you always think of it at that least opportune time because that's what triggered it. But yeah. you gotta have that way of capturing it so you don't forget. Yeah, that's so true. Because I even like sitting in bed just where you can't sleep. I'm. Oh yeah, that's that's the perfect solution. And the next morning, like, what the what was that thought I had? I can't even remember. So yeah, so always yeah, always write a note, video recorder or something, so you can remember it. Good advice. All right, great, Tom. This has been great. Um, so before we jump off, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, connect with you, collaborate, what's the best way for them to get in touch? 
Yeah, jump on my website. It's tomzeeb.com, T-O-M, Z is in zebra, E-E, B is in boy.com. And you'll be able to listen to my podcast. It's on the art and science of real estate negotiation. Okay, definitely. Okay, and I will run that podcast across the bottom of the screen as well so they can connect to that as well. Awesome. All right, thanks so much, Tom. This has been great. Really great having you on. I hope to have you on again soon. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. All right, take care. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves. <laughs>